Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hello and welcome to the Bechdel cast. My name is Jamie Loftus. And my name is Caitlin Durante. And before we get our episode started today, we wanted to welcome all our, our new listeners. This is our first episode on the How Stuff Works Network. We are so thrilled to be here. Yes. So if this is your first time listening to our podcast, we'll just give you a quick explainer on, uh, on what we do here. That's right. So we, again, are the Bechdel cast. We talk about the portrayal and representation of women in movies mm-hmm. through an intersectional feminist lens. Every Thursday, we bring in a special guest who brings in one of their favorite movies, a movie that's really affected them, and we tear it apart uh, based on the way that it treats women in that movie. Uh, Sometimes it does really well, other times, not so much. Yeah, Hollywood kind of has a long history of not representing women well at all. Um, what? Yeah, hard to believe. Hot take. That's why we're here. We use the Bechdel test as a sort of jump off point to initiate this larger conversation about representation of women. What on earth is the Bechdel test, Caitlin? Why, Jamie, I'd be happy to tell you. Okay. It is a test that originated from cartoonist Alison Bechdel in the 1980s. It requires that a movie has at least two women in it who have names. Check. They have to speak to each other. Check. And that conversation cannot be about a man at all. Oh, my word. I know. Shall we demo it? I'd love to. Let's demo it for the people. Okay, begin test. Hi, Caitlin. Hey, Jamie. Did you know that this is our first episode on the How Stuff Works Network? I did know that. Oh my god! But, but like for people who are like new to the podcast, like what should they listen to? Are there other episodes? There are because oh. we've operated independently up until now. Well, good for us. I know we're such oh strong, god. independent women. Yes, queen, go off. We have over eighty episodes backlogged of a ton of different movies. So check those out. Chances are we've covered one of your favorites. Yeah, we've got a lot of hot spicy backlog with some hot spicy discourse uh we've covered star wars we've covered black panther we've covered 
Gili. For some reason, we covered Gili. We sure did. Uh, so did that conversation pass the Bechtel test? For, uh, well, except for Gili, because Gili is a man. But up until Larry the very Gili, end. Larry Gili, icon. Yeah. Ugh, gross. Uh, up until the very end of that conversation, I would say we passed with flying colors. Good for us. I know. And uh, so toward the end of every episode, after our discussion, after our heavy but also fun discourse. Sometimes it's heavy. Sometimes it's light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We will determine whether or not the movie passes the Bechdel test. And we will rate the movie on our special rating system, which we will get to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, other than that, we're so happy to be here on How Stuff Works. We're happy you're joining us. And today's episode, uh, we are talking about Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yes. And we have a wonderful guest. So let's introduce her. Yes, absolutely. She is the host of Bad With Money podcast, and she is the writer of I Hate Everyone But You, Gabby Dunn. Hi. Hi, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. We're going older than we usually go today. Mm -hmm. We haven't done a lot of movies before 1980, I would say. Agree. Yeah, but this is this is a big one. This is a classic. Yes. I did notice that you guys don't do a lot of very old movies, which is why I suggested mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. one. I think probably one of the reasons we tend to steer more toward modern and contemporary movies is that our conversations are about how we influence media, media influences us. So for today's world, not as many people are watching the older movies anymore. Maybe. I don't know. My grandmother on on, uh, Turner Classic Movies. I used to be a TCM addict as a kid. It's really good. But like, especially like with today's younger generation who are the most easily influenced, mm-hmm. they're watching, you know, Marvel stuff, like what's in theaters right now. And they're sure. not, a lot of them, unless they're like film buffs, aren't necessarily going back to older well, movies. Or pretentious. I mean, I, but also <laughs> the thing is, is with this one is that like young women have this aesthetic about it and they also mm-hmm. like have, you know, the poster of Audrey Hepburn and like they're aware of this as like a classic that keeps keeps coming back kind of mm-hmm. as like a cool thing. Right. Without possibly even understanding the movie or having seen the movie. I hope that we do more old movies. It's it's for me, I just sort of assume that anything before 1980, even though I've seen a lot of them, but like a lot of pre-1980 is just straight up a wash where you're just like, yeah, that's not going to do well. Mm-hmm. That's not going to do well. And most movies after 1980 and also most movies that come out now, but yes, in particular before that. But, but sometimes they're really sneaky feminist. Yeah. Like they get away with a lot of stuff. Like I was just saying, I, I love the movie Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and that is like very, they get away with so many things. Like mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe's characters, they're both like so overtly sexual and it's just like completely fine. So I think there's like a lot of stuff that, I don't know, it's not all like, oh, this is terrible and women suck. And there were a lot of really great like leading parts yeah. for women back. And I don't know where we steered wrong, but. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, don't I would know. say it's probably the, um, well, this movie came out in 1961 mm-hmm. while the production code was still in full effect so i would hazard a guess and i don't know a whole ton about this but the production code was in effect between 1934 and i think 1968 or 9 and this was like all the censorship of like Mm. you could like there was no overt sexuality you couldn't swear there couldn't be graphic violence there couldn't be be sneaky yeah there was like tons of innuendos and that gave birth to things like screwball comedy and like a Mm -hmm. whole bunch of other things but like yeah, because of the production code and all the censorship that came with that, I think reinforced more like rigid gender roles. But they I had, think. they, I think like limitations made people a little more 
I don't know, made them made them a little more creative about rather than just going for like the easy. In joke. some movies, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just am always shocked by how overtly sexual they're like allowed to be with these kind of innuendos or like having to write around these sort of things. Like I was saying to Jamie too before this that I read that they had the Paul character, they added more sexual stuff for him in the script so that the censors would go after him and Mm -hmm. and censor more of his things and leave Holly Golightly alone. Yeah. Which is smart, which is like an interesting trick. Yeah, Yeah. that's a cool misdirect. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I, well, let's talk about your history with the movie. When did you first see the movie and like what is your history with it up till now? When I was in high school, I was like a very pretentious asshole. Um, (laughs) And so I was kind of doing this thing where I was like, I like old music. I like old movies. I'm wearing silk gloves to prom, whatever, that kind of girl. (laughs) And so I would start watching these old movies because I just, I don't know, I was trying to be like a person who knew about things that other kids at school didn't know about, Mm -hmm. which, you know, people loved, obviously, and like (laughs) super wanted to be friends with me. And so like I took a lot of pride in being like, I know about all this media that you don't even know about. So I think I I watched it just because I had seen all these photos and I knew about like the picture of her with the with the tiara and yeah. but I had no idea what it was about. So I think I watched it in high school because I watched a lot of like Elvis beach movies. I watched Hard Day's Night all the time. I liked Marilyn Monroe's stuff. So this um, was like your era that you that you yeah, were like, into like got like, into late fifties early sixties. Mm-hmm. Got like it. got into it. And then when I watched it, I was like, wait a minute, they're both sex workers. Like, this is crazy. Like, I this movie that is built up as being this classy, kind of, like, beautiful thing that, like, in Audrey Hepburn especially, who's viewed as kind of, like, untouchable and, like, a porcelain doll. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, not explicitly stated in either in, in the story or the movie, but it's so, like, <laughs> Truman Capote, I liked this phrase a lot. When he was asked if Holly Golightly was a sex worker, like, years later, he's like, I like to think of her as an American geisha. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Okay. So you're saying it, but you're not going to say yeah. it. They Got would it. in the in the press for the film at the time. They were saying she was a party girl, or that mm-hmm. she. They also used the word kook a lot. They were like she's an eccentric kook. Right. And it's like okay, this is some really wild coded language we're pulling right. out, but it's like no one will actually say. It. But it is clearly what's you know. Yeah. Happening. I mean, it, there's. It's not subtle. I mean, he gives her money for the quote-unquote powder room. Mm-hmm. The interior decorator, quote-unquote, leaves Paul $300, like, yeah. on the nightstand. <laughs> like, it's not subtle at all. So then I was like, oh, my God, this is the same movie that people laud as this classy sort of thing that, like, women, you know, dress up for as Halloween. Like, and you know what I mean? Yeah. I put the poster in their dorm, and I was like, we, do we, does anybody else understand what this movie's about? And then I loved it because I always loved sort of subversive stuff. So I was like, this is great. Um, and then I, I would watch it every so often as like a, you know, to fall asleep as like a soothing. Because mm. now it's kind of like this comfort movie, which mm. a lot of Audrey Hepburn stuff is for me. Yeah. It's like just very comforting. So it's been with you for a long time. Yeah. 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 It's sort of similarly, I had the poster before I saw the movie. Yeah. I, think I had the poster <laughs> hanging in my room. Uh, I think my mom gave it to me and I had it for like a full year before I was like, oh, yeah, I should probably watch this because <laughs> I love old movies. My era was I was like wartime MGM movies. OK, I had a stack of tapes and like DVDs full of TCM Judy Garland movies like every Judy. Mm-hmm. I was a full on Judy person, which is also one of the many reasons it's so painful to watch Mickey Rooney in this movie because 
he's in all the Judy Garland movies. But so I finally got around to watching Breakfast at Tiffany's and then read the book as well. And I really, really, really love Truman Capote, who did not like this movie. But I, I think it's really nice. There was so much, uh, I haven't seen it in at least two or three years. Like it's sort of the thing that whenever it's on Netflix, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a good background thing. But I totally forgot about some of the very like moving, sad things that happened in this movie. It's And I think that that's true. There's just like this weird dissonance with this movie where you remember what Audrey Hepburn looks like. You remember sort of how she behaves. You remember that there's parties and you remember there's a kiss in the rain at the end. And everything else, I it's, you're sort of just like, oh yeah, she's arrested. There's a character named Sally Tomato. There's like, <laughs> her brother dies. Her brother dies. I like, totally forgot her brother dies. Yeah, it's like an incredibly sad movie and then it's recreated. Like I keep thinking of the scene of in Gossip Girl where they recreate it mm-hmm. um, and, and Leighton Meester is her and then it's just played as this very romantic thing. Right. And people like don't know what the movie is about, which I can see why Truman Capote would freaking hate that he the uh we'll, we'll get into this in a bit mm-hmm. but there's like the context that he wrote this story and also that in the short story paul is coded gay mm. um which obviously they completely scrap in this movie mm-hmm. but there's you know there's just like a lot of interesting stuff but yeah this movie was with me since i think high school as well i have a really embarrassing myspace profile pic with <laughs> that poster in the background and i'm just and it's black and white and it's really horrible um, no Oh, it's really bad. But I, I don't know. And then watching it this time, I don't dislike this movie. I still I still enjoyed it. But there was just like a lot that stuck out to me and just stuff I'd forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Caitlin? I saw it for the first time in college. During that period of time, because I was, not to brag, but I was majoring in film. Uh, so I, <laughs> I was trying to watch as many movies as I could. So I would sometimes watch like two or three movies a day. And mm-hmm. then like... From that period of time, my brain didn't store anything about the story or mm-hmm. like any of the important things about the movie. The only thing I would remember about the movies I watched back then is whether or not I liked them. Mm-hmm. And what I remembered about Breakfast at Tiffany's is a very visceral hatred for this movie. <laughs> I hate this movie. You hated it the first time you saw it so too? Much. Yes. Oh, wow. And, and you hate I, it now? I hate it. <laughs> hate, I hate, hate this movie. <laughs> Um, Were you reluctant to have me on because of that? No. Were you like, Because ah, it's fun. I think it's fun a lot of the times. Yeah, we love talking about movies that we hate. And <laughs> it's more fun. I think we we do our best, at least, to try to not let our personal feelings about the movie influence our like critical analysis of the portrayal of women in the movie. Okay. Yeah. So I do my best to keep that separate. Anytime um, it's an old movie, Caitlin hates it. Anytime it's a movie with aliens... I, I hate it. <laughs> we all do our best. I, don't get me wrong. I like a lot of old movies. This just isn't an example of one of the ones that I like. Yeah. So, um, do you I like Audrey Hepburn. She kind of plays a similar type of woman a lot. I think the only other thing I saw her in was My Fair Lady. Oh, okay. I, I liked that movie okay. And I had read Pygmalion and I liked that. I haven't seen it for over a decade. So I don't know if it holds up at all. But the reason I don't like this movie is I find the Holly Golightly character absolutely insufferable (laughs) i didn't read the the novella so um i'm not super familiar with the context but just there's barely a plot and i hate the character so (laughs) sorry about that but from here on out i'm gonna be happy and nice (laughs) (laughs) anyway so i'll do the recap let's do it 
we are introduced to Holly Golightly. She's living in New York City. Wow, city where dreams come true. Concrete <laughs> jungle where dreams are made of. <laughs> okay, so it's the early 60s. She's, you know, living a life in New York City. Although it's never explicitly stated, there are different innuendos and hints to suggest that she is a sex worker escort. American geisha. American right. geisha. American geisha. <laughs> And early on, she meets her new neighbor who moves in named Paul, but she keeps calling him Fred because he looks like her brother named Fred. And we know that it's a red flag because he is a blonde male adult. <laughs> <laughs> it's still one of the biggest uh, human red flags you can encounter yeah. is an adult blonde male, very dangerous. Uh, do, do not interact with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah. So Paul also seems to have a certain arrangement with a woman named Mrs. Phelanson. I love Mrs. Phelanson. So <laughs> Patricia Neal. She's yeah. amazing. She's yeah. so got her husky voice. And then she just, she just, she like appears in a room. And I'm like, oh, she's going to fuck him. Yeah. Like it's just such, oh, she's so great. She's anyway. married to Roald Dahl. Or she was. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool. Fun um, fact. Cool. <laughs> So they have an arrangement where he he's a, a writer, but a struggling writer. He's written one book of nine short stories. But other than that, he needs some financial security, which Mrs. Valenson seems to provide. So Paul and Holly are in s- similar careers. And so they uh, relate to each they, other. Yeah, so they kind of, they start to become friends. Early on, like, Holly throws a party, and she meets a few different rich guys who get invited. Um, one's named Jose da Silva Pereira, mm-hmm. and the other one is uh, Rusty, Rusty Trawler. Rusty Trawler! <laughs> <laughs> These men eventually become two men that Holly tries to pursue and, like, seduce so that they will marry her so that she can Be marry wealthy. A, a wealthy man. Then Holly's husband, we find out that she was previously married when and she got married 14. when she was okay, so this going is, on 14, yeah, so 13. Ugh. So this is crazy. So so she and her brother were poor. Their parents died. They were stealing turkey eggs from this guy's yard. He was like a full-grown man. He was like, oh, my God, I'll adopt you. So she, So he adopts her and Fred. And then when she gets to be 13, he's like, and he has kids from a previous marriage. He's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I want to marry you. Mm -hmm. So then he marries her. Mm -hmm. And then they like are raising the brother and the kids together. What? so (laughs) weird. And then the way that the movie presents him to me is also very bizarre. Like, because they present him as like, you understand why she doesn't go back with him, obviously. But also he's presented as like this really like sympathetic yeah. Sweet, like, simple sweet, man. Who's, but he yeah. loves her. And you're just like, no, this guy's like a, a criminal. Statutory yeah. rapist. He's a statutory rapist who shows up with his big blue eyes. He's like, come back to the farm. And you're just like, no. Yeah, <laughs> she's is- in the right. Oh, but absolutely. it's played as that like he's in the right. And also it, yeah. she says like, well, I was I was only 13, so the marriage was annulled. Yeah. Yeah, I bet it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that tracks. Like yeah. there's, and also Paul pissed me off in that scene. And this is, I think, in a lot of ways, just revealing of the era, where Doc shows up. He's like, "Hey, that girl you have a crush on, I raped her, and <laughs> and like I need to see her because I'm her husband." And Paul, without checking, without giving Holly any manner of heads up, just knocks on her door, and he's like, "Hey, found your rapist outside." <laughs> I was like. Fucking loser! You just sold her out so hard, and then Holly has to deal with it. She does not get mad at Paul. She's not even she mad at Doc. She's no. like Doc's just a sweet guy. Yeah, and just like we 
we we can be upset with Doc. Yeah. I just, that scene was so, like, there's a few different moments in the way that Paul treats Holly that the story doesn't address that is clearly just like, okay, yeah, at that time, if a man says, I'm this woman's husband, it doesn't matter how the woman feels. You bring him to her. Right. Mm -hmm. And his, like, this person you just met, his needs matter more than the person you're falling in love with. Sure. Right. Right. So that uh, is a fun story beat. Uh, but ultimately, uh, he, he's like trying to lure her back home with a promise of like, hey, your brother Paul's getting out of the army oh, Fred, soon. Fred, Fred, Fred. Fred. So she's like, no, I can't go back. Uh, and then he like sort of threatens. He's just like, well, if you don't get on this Greyhound bus with me, maybe you'll never see Fred again. And it was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Fred's then, an adult. Yeah, he's a man. <laughs> But so then she's like, oh, I have to marry a rich guy so that I can bring Fred to me to New York City so Mm -hmm. I can take care of him. Again, this adult man who has been in the army for presumably a few years. She kind of insinuates that Fred is not smart. Yes. It's she's it's not stated. But yeah, she says at the beginning that he's He's very slow Mm -hmm. and tall. Maybe he's like uh, John Malkovich in Of Mice and Men. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's that's the canon I'm going with. Uh, So she's trying to seduce these different rich men. First she starts with Rusty Trawler, but then she finds out that he has married someone else. And then she starts to go after Jose. Jose. And meanwhile, like, she's spending time with Paul, and they're really connecting. And he's catching some feels for her. But she... You know, she doesn't know if she is or not because she doesn't like to be tied down to anyone. She's she's free as a bird. She's not going to be cat. in a cat. It's a metaphor. Right. Right. <laughs> the cat doesn't have a name and the cat will get a name when she feels like she can settle down. Right. Yeah. But these different pursuits don't work out because she gets arrested for her. Oh, right. She, she, there's also Sally Tomato. There's Sally yeah. Tomato. I can't believe I forgot to mention Sally Tomato. Feminist icon Sally Tomato. <laughs> <laughs> He was like a known gangster. This like drug scandal surfaces, and because she was visiting him in prison to uh, give on a him weekly information, basis, basically, yeah, um, she but gets she didn't arrested. Know, I guess. I, yeah, I don't really understand that whole. I read about it, and in in the write ups I read, they believe that she really didn't know. Like she really thought it was a weather report. Mm. But I don't know if she's that stupid. <sighs> Yeah, she's say. she's gotten through life pretty cleverly. Yeah, I don't know. She but smart. so then she uh, she's like about to go to Brazil to marry Jose, and then she gets arrested for her involvement with Sally Tomato. Mm-hmm. And then she is this before or after she finds out that her brother has died in a vehicle before, accident? Before, right before, before. Okay. Because Jose's still there. Doesn't Jose leave after? Oh yeah, the, he leaves because she's, because she got arrested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, all right. So she so, finds that out, and then she trashes her room, and then she is in a cab. Paul has like picked her up from prison. Yeah. And then he's just like, I love you, Holly. You need to get out of your cage that you built for yourself. You belong to me. He tells her that because he loves her, that she belongs to him. Yeah. He won't let her go in the library. He's like, (laughs) Like he's got her in a vice grip. It's very romantic. And then she flings her own cat out of the cab. Oh, She's like, find a home here. Yeah. (laughs) There's also that one shot. This is like... I think it's the scene we find out where Fred died, where someone, it's clear it's not Audrey Hepburn, throws a cat at the wall. Yeah. And yes. you see the cat hit fly the through the frame and hit the wall. It's like, you can't do that. You can't just. And the you cat imagine, lands on the window. Yeah. yeah. Like, you see, like, I'm mean, like, you just imagine, like, a first AD being like, okay, I'm just going to throw this cat really quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. 
Also, cats do have eight nipples. This is Cat Facts with Caitlin. Woo! Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so basically in the in the cab ride at the end of the movie, Paul is confessing his love for Holly. She's Miss like, whoever no! you are. <laughs> and then she's like, wait a minute, he's right. I do need to let people in. I need to let love into my life. I do need to go back and get my cat. So she gets out of the cab and they look for the cat together. They find it. And then there's a kiss in the rain. And that is the end of the movie. do Okay, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. And we're back. There's a lot that happens in this movie. Yeah, there's a lot of plot. Yeah. There's, plot on top of plot. To me, it's like, there's no like really distinct desire that she's given. She has a few like think... micro goals, but... I think that Fred and security mm-hmm. are, are her two motivations. Like She wants to be with her brother, and she also wants to like live a comfortable life without having to commit to someone at first. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. later decides she does want to commit to someone because of comfort. Yeah. yeah, and Paul wants to be a writer. They're both kind of trying to get out of sex work. Yeah. So this, uh, just for context of of the book, which is very different. So Holly Golightly was pulled from two different sources in Truman Capote's life. Uh, one is his mom, who literally did basically the Lula May thing, mm. where 
when Truman Capote was very young, his mom, and this is like they lived in Alabama, blah, blah, blah. Truman's mom boots out. She's like, actually, I'm going to go to New York and like find us a cool life. Changed her name. The whole like the whole Holly Galletly story, except she had a kid mm. uh, and then eventually moved Truman Capote to New York with her. It didn't work out. They ended up moving back to Alabama. But uh, so his mom, who he had like a weird relationship with his whole life, basically lived this sort of Holly Golightly adjacent lifestyle for a while. Wait, are you telling me a gay creative had a weird relationship with, with his, his mom? mom. <laughs> I can't I, I can't believe it. But it gets better <laughs> okay. because Paul in the story is Holly's neighbor, but is not like an explicit love interest at all and is coded gay or that is like what was speculated uh, by a lot of critics. So it's like Truman Capote wrote this novella where he, as an adult, became friends with his mom at his age. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. then they have this like, it's it's great. And then the other one is... Um, a neighbor of his, right? A woman who lived downstairs from him? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like interesting self-fanfic in <laughs> some ways. And then he also pulled on, like, he I guess he was like, I wanted to write a female Gatsby character, which mm-hmm. you can see a lot of in Holly Golightly as well as, like, oh, yeah. the self-made. You know. Yeah, is she a phony? Well, the thing is, she's a real phony. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. She is a prototype manic pixie dream girl. Yes. For mm-hmm. sure. The way she's introduced when he, like, comes in and she's just talking over him so manically and, like, doesn't even... Find my shoes. Yeah. They're, they're alligator. And, and it's just very, like, oh, of course I'm doing this. Like, and he's sort of blown away by her and she's, like, you know, just being super quirky. Her being able to call a taxi. Like, yeah. her catching her on the balcony, just improvising this beautiful twee song right. on the acoustic guitar <laughs> <laughs> which is moon river which was written for the movie yeah mm. yeah but i i feel like that trope is i mean it's not even fully a recognized trope at this point but it's commented on more than other manic pixies where mm-hmm. we are given the context of her background and like why she puts on this persona to survive and like it it makes sense and is explained and commented on enough that it almost doesn't bother me really too much in, yeah, in it this doesn't, movie. Yeah, it doesn't bother me that much either, especially because nobody is, like, shaming her for her flaw. Or, no, or like, her being a sex worker is not even the problem. Do you know what I mean? And so that's, mm-hmm. that's like, a twist on it for me where it's not like someone had to save her necessarily. She had to figure – she right. had to – come to this on her own that she she doesn't want I don't know I guess Paul does a lot of the work but she like makes the choice to get out of the cab right I mean she she has a lot of agency the ending rings where where it was like my favorite part when I was younger like it rings a little bit hollow for me now because the way Paul behaves at the end of the movie is so entitled and yeah he's very entitled not like you belong to me and well, she says people don't belong to each other right and she's right right she's but right. then <laughs> cut to five minutes later right she belongs to him now and <laughs> the cat you know yeah it's it's weird that we hear her say those lines that like definitely stuck with me when I was younger and then minutes later she goes back on it entirely or the story has her go back on that entirely and 
now she's going to be in, uh, you know, a normal relationship with Paul, which is apparently all she ever wanted, even though that's never really what she said that she wanted. Right. Which is why, like, I don't know if she has that much agency. She's not that active of a character. Like I said, she's like, yeah, she's has a few different goals and motivations, but she's the worst person why don't you Ever. like her? Okay. Why? I have a list. Okay. Oh, of why <laughs> okay. you don't like her? An yes. itemized yeah. list. She treats people around her horribly, uh, most notably her neighbor, Mr. Yunioshi, who we'll get into. Yeah, that is yeah. a whole Horribly thing. problematic. <laughs> oh, boy. Thing there, but um, there's a lot of people she doesn't seem to care about. She uses people. She is superficial and has terrible friends, and she only cares about status and money. She is hyper materialistic. Oh she never God. says anything of <laughs> substance. She only ever talks about like the rich man she wants to marry. She's unaware of her surroundings, and she accidentally lights a woman's head on fire. <laughs> she is calling people ugly and fat all the time. She doesn't own any books. She's never been to a library before. Uh, she thinks that South America is a country. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree on a lot Almost of Almost all yeah. of those. She I, does think that South America, America is a yeah. country. Okay, I'll give you that. I think that, you know, those things in a void are issues but it's like she's a she's a I think she does have a clear motivation and a lot of those qualities especially I would argue the materialistic stuff is so rooted in that she has had to find ways to survive for so long and and it's like it's not like these men with money that you know like I guess you can make the argument that she is manipulating them but they're doing the same thing to her they don't mm-hmm. give a fuck about her mm-hmm. they want uh, you know like a piece to mm-hmm. bring to events like yeah. it, it it is and like fitting in with her like background as a sex worker even though no one's going to say sex sex worker like it's transactional in a mm-hmm. lot of ways and I don't know like the whole thing with her loving Tiffany's just seems like in her life given what we know of her the only consistent thing you can count on are material things because she's been let down by so many people with the exception of her brother who she is genuinely fighting for Mm -hmm. but everyone else in her life like who else can she point to as like oh here's a person that is worth more than material security and I don't think that there is any. I mean, like, her husband, like, well, we already went through that where, you know, the statutory rape and yeah. the, you know, it's... A, like, what choice? She didn't have a choice but to marry him. So it's really, right. like, because there was no way out of that situation. Right. It's similar, like, this is like a downer, but my grandmother survived the Holocaust and she's incredibly materialistic now. Mm-hmm. And, like, when I was younger, I used to judge her for that. And now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, of course. Like, of course she wants to surround herself with, like, finery. The background on that is so dark that, like, she's just like, I want all the jewelry. I want all the stuff. I deserve this. Right. Like, and I, that completely makes sense to me. Like, that tracks as, like, motivation totally. Yeah, I I don't know. It, It makes, I think we're given the context for it to make sense. I get that she's, like, not likable in a lot of ways, and that definitely, like, the manic pixie stuff is, like, present and, like, used as, oh, it feels almost like a shortcut at some mm-hmm. points to, like, get us from point A to point B, especially in terms of, like, why is Paul in love with her? Manic pixie behavior is so easy for it to be like, and that's why yeah. he mm. loves her. And also she's um, totally messed up and has a lot of problems, but 
flawlessly beautiful the whole time. Yes, yes. Like, I would have loved Like sleeping with makeup on. Like, right. like she's like, when she's like got the pigtails and the sweater on and she's like, we have to go somewhere where I can get in looking like this. I'm like, bitch, shut up. Yeah. Like, yeah. Are you joking? <laughs> you look top 10 most beautiful. Are you kidding me right now? Better than any of us will ever look in our entire lives. Great. Thank <laughs> right. you. Right. So cool. there is a thing of like romanticizing trauma and like making trauma right. beautiful, mm-hmm. which is definitely at play here. Yeah. yeah. And then there's there's multiple points where I think it's like three different men in this movie call her crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is always like, ooh, red flag. And there's one of my favorite ones just of like, you know, like when you watch an older movie, there are just like some clueless ways that it will interact with its characters where Doc says to her, you're talking crazy, Lula May. And she says, don't call me that. And I'm thinking crazy. And then she's like, don't call me Lula May. And I was like, oh, I guess that's the bigger issue here. Because people call her crazy all the time. And it's just something she has to deal with. She's a kook. She's, she's a- an eccentric kook. <laughs> and then what the hell is Paul? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I was, I was like... Interesting choice that she's never been to a library before. <laughs> but then I, I forgot. I mean, there are so many details of this movie I forgot. I was like, oh, but she goes back later and she's like, oh, maybe mm. there is something to this whole He's library never been to thing. Tiffany's. So true. Yeah, everyone's but- never been places. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I think it's much more common to have never been to a Tiffany's than to never have been to a library. <laughs> and the I, I kind of liked... I don't know. The whole Tiffany's and like stealing and that whole sequence is like, this is a bit long. We get it. They like each other. But the Tiffany's. Well, do you know that New York City is the third character? There's. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, I just want for the listeners at home, uh, Jamie and Caitlin both very much hated that. No, he collapsed. <laughs> Did not like that at all. I need to be revived. There, there's That's something that happens when we have male guests sometimes, where male guests love to say that locations are also characters. And you're like, thank you so much for telling me that. There's, oh, oh I, I mentioned in the beginning, I'm an old movie's asshole, right? Like that was clear to everyone. Yeah, Karina Longworth over here. She, oh, God, I wish. There's, I know, she's the crowd. I listen to that I listened to that show and it's real good it's really good oh yeah the Tiffany thing I liked that comment that she makes inside of Tiffany's that like just reminded me of being poor of like oh yeah I don't buy anything I just Mm -hmm. like you know I just like stare at nice things and it just like calms me down and that fits into the character very well of just like the the atmosphere of materialism is more comforting than like other people and there's a lot of class stuff too that they like get the Cracker Jack ring engraved. Yeah. Oh, like that's yeah. just a lot of like, you know, the way that the sales guy looks at them mm-hmm. and is judgy and that they like keep going with the bit. And also in this world, it makes no sense that he would look at these two gorgeous, well dressed people and be like, <laughs> seems sus. It's yeah. like, no, they look like they have money. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's being a full on asshole. I think we had a similar discussion on like the Moulin Rouge episode where Mm -hmm. if you really boil down this story, it is sort of about a a woman who's a sex worker who maybe is trying to get out of this lifestyle. How active she is in that pursuit is kind of up for debate. But ultimately, it's about a man who comes in and sort of rescues her from it in the sense that he is willing to provide her with actual love unlike the other men that she's interacting with in her profession. So in that sense, 
this is a, a, a story like the one that we saw in Moulin Rouge and like we see in Pretty Woman and just a lot of like, oh, you're a sex worker? That must mean that you just need love from a man. I The counterpoint to that is that he is also a sex worker. Yes. And that he gives up Mrs. Phil- Phelan's. He, he gives up her and he gives up, he starts writing again because mm-hmm. he's like, I need to make money on my own. And he kind of also is rescuing himself and she's rescuing him a little bit. But it's not his story. It's her story. So yeah, I feel like, right. she, I wish she had more agency and more, she was more active in the pursuit of whatever she wants which again i would argue we don't like again some things are sort of defined but i think there could be a much clearer definition of what she actually wants out of Mm -hmm. life well he's very entitled but there is there there is the thing that he leaves her alone for a long time and then Mm -hmm. she calls him to come back to the apartment which is good yeah i i agree with with both of you on on that i think it's weird that like Again, it's like a Hollywood third act problem where I think all the work is done to make Holly a realized enough character that the movie does not have to end the way it does. She mm-hmm. could act with way more agency towards the end of the movie and it would make sense with her character because we've been given the context and the background mm-hmm. that she would have the motivation to do it. But because of how these stories are structured, she's not allowed to. There's one line that Paul says when he's breaking things off with Mrs. Phelanson where he's that really I was just like, oh, come on. She can't help anyone, including herself. The thing is, I can help her. And that's a nice feeling for a change. And so we know that he's going into it thinking that he is rescuing her. And like that is even though we know that she has a lot to offer him as well, he pretty explicitly articulates what his mindset is which is that like i can help her and that makes me feel good and i care about her so i'm going to and also because i love her then she belongs to me Mm -hmm. right right Mm -hmm. so that is like a third act issue i have and then there's also like one the other thing where they're both sex workers right and her motivation is so deeply rooted in survival we also see her you know because she is a woman like treated worse like at the at the very beginning the motivation for their first hang is that mel blank (laughs) (laughs) fucking bugs bunny is like chasing her out of her own apartment to the point where she has to leave out the window these men are getting violent and like there's an implication that he's gonna rape her like oh right she's just like oh another day at the office exactly (laughs) she's like he's nice when he doesn't drink and you're just like yikes okay yeah so she has so so much more shit. To, even though they're both sex workers, it's clear that she has to take more shit. Mm-hmm. And Paul is sort of given the luxury that it, I don't think she really has in this movie of he has is one a sex provider. Worker. Yes, and is allowed to have a creative pursuit and has mm-hmm. the time to be able to do that. And that doesn't seem as possible for Holly. Right. I also think the belong to each other thing is interesting because it's phrased terribly but what he mm. means is and what she ultimately takes away from it and what the cat provides <laughs> is that what the cat provides my new podcast <laughs> <laughs> is that put down roots you have to put down roots you have to commit to something you have to name your cat and that's why i like that she goes after the cat when she gets out of the car because it's fr- yes belong to each other is phrased poorly mm-hmm. but i do think he has a point in that like she's she's always going to be running and as is this Dr. Seuss wherever you go there you are 
Uh, oh, Ooh, um, it might be. Let me check. I feel like that's a Dr. Seuss thing, but maybe not. But basically, like you, you have to. You're always going to be stuck with yourself. Mm-hmm. So she can't keep running. Like in the cab, she's like, well, I'm going to go to Brazil anyway. I'm just going to try to go anyway. Yeah. Um, and he's like, you love New York. You love me. You love this cat. Like deal with it. So I, I do think there is, if she was like, actually, I do want to be this free person and he was coming from no evidence and no information, then I can see it. But also it is hard to swallow a guy being like, here's what you need. But it right. it is what she needs. Well, it, but it's just it sucks that he has to make her see that, and she yeah. doesn't come to that conclusion on her own. I but she does when she gets out of the car because she yeah. could have just gone to Brazil and been like, "Nah, fuck you, dude." Well, it's only because the long speech that he has delivered. Yeah, to, like right. it was still like his actions and his words, poorly phrased though they may be, that gets her to realize what I mean. But yeah, I don't. That's why I, it would have been great if Jose had been waiting for her. Like if yeah, the, and she was had like, actually, she, right. never mind. And then right. she would have own... a choice. Then she would have made a choice. a choice, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. I don't hate, aside from his very horrible phrasing of saying that she belongs to him, I don't hate the message that he's saying, which is basically just like, you need to be emotionally vulnerable mm-hmm. if you ever want to connect with anyone and be happy, mm-hmm. which she realizes that it just, yeah, I wish that she had come to that conclusion on her own through her own you know journey rather than to have him very explicitly teach her that lesson yeah and also would have liked to see maybe a bit more of her throwing that back at him and being like Mm -hmm. you do the same thing you Mm -hmm. don't fucking write you say you're a writer but you don't write you're kind of a prototype of a of a guy who's just privileged and just being like i'm gonna i'm good looking so i'm gonna like let women you know what i mean like she doesn't give it back to him yeah she doesn't really challenge him at all as hard as or anyone. Uh, <laughs> I wanted her to yell at him so much when she was like, why did you bring Doc to my house? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. that's just, I don't know why that was the part I most strongly objected to, but I was so mad because at him. Because you're right. She's so mad at she, him. He ambushes her with her rapist. He's just like, yeah, you're going to want to get on a Greyhound bus with this guy. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Ugh. Yeah. Anyways. Are there any... The other women at the party is that one boisterous woman that she hates. Mag Wildwood. Mag Wildwood. Mm -hmm. Who she hates and thinks is a bore and then who passes out and everyone just lets her hit the ground. Oh, yeah. That's another reason that she's a terrible person is that like (laughs) she knows that she's about to fall. And instead of Holly helping her fellow woman, she goes, Timber. Also, no one helps her. No one one likes her. Clear out of the way. It reminds me of that scene at the beginning of School of Rock where Jack Black tries to do the stage dive but oh. everyone's like he's a jerk and they just let him hit the floor. Yeah, yeah. But that Anyways, would she would be dead. Reference. You know what I mean? That's... Like that's off. Like she hits her head like that's not okay. She would have at least broken her nose. Right. Yeah. She falls face first. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's like other women at the party. Irving who's like the guy the, the OJ the agent is trying to get with yes oh yes and then who's he's kind of like chasing her around and then there's uh one asian woman mm-hmm. yes who does not does speak, not speak <laughs> uh is i mean not the worst part of the way asian culture is portrayed in this movie <laughs> for sure but this reminded me a little bit of uh, a few episodes ago uh when we did the royal tenenbaums and just like the use of asian culture as set dressing correct and de- characters that are never given any dialogue. yeah and she's dressed a very specific way and yes 
I mean, it was interesting that she was included in the socialite scene. I thought that was interesting, but also dressed a certain way and doesn't talk. Doesn't, yeah, so we just have no context of, like, who she is, why mm-hmm. she's there. And then also <sighs> there's, like, an interesting thing where with Jose, it seems like his family is, like, very important politicians in Brazil, and so... There's, like, an implication that he can't marry a white woman, which is very interesting, too. Oh, I, I didn't catch that. I mean, I, she, that that he's, like, bringing her around, and she's like, we're going to get married with all his family there. And it's, like, very clear that that's not going to happen. Yeah. I wasn't sure if that was because she was a call girl. Or... Oh, I got the impression that, like, she's trying to, like, she was learning to cook and, like, trying to learn Portuguese and, like, oh, fit in with okay. his family. And I think there was, like, an implication that he can't marry someone who's not part of like the Brazilian political family or whatever. That mm-hmm. makes sense. I thought that they were just like, hey, don't marry a sex worker. But then she Which has also a line. Is very well, yeah. And then she has a line where she says, oh, our kids will have dark skin, but blue, yeah. but green eyes. And I was like, like okay, uh, okay. Holly you eugenics. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was like, what do you mean, Holly? You don't have green eyes. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. Who here has green eyes? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Where are they about? coming from? Right. But yeah, it's re- it's very weird. And then, of course, Mickey Rooney. <sighs> yeah, I mean, we... Should we just do it? Yeah, we got to do it. Um, I'd recommend an article uh, that was in the Wall Street Journal from a few years ago by Jeff Yang, who talks about this role at length. Um, so this, this is something that's been talked about for years people have protested like different screenings, screenings of, of this movie, movie yeah, for sure. because of Mickey Rooney's portrayal of the character of Mr. Yunioshi which Mickey is Rooney, of course 2008 comes out with a big old defense of of yeah. doing it earlier earlier he had said he regretted it he's sorry he mm-hmm. did it he didn't know blah 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 he did this whole thing and then uh, he got older i assume more senile <laughs> and then in 2008 yeah. was like Nah, fuck y'all. Yeah, I, I never in defense of Mickey Rooney here, but Mickey Rooney, the last couple of years of his life, uh, pretty much anything he says is not lucid. So it's a bummer that he mm. was even allowed to make a statement about it because <laughs> right. I think he was like still lucid when he was like, oh, that's incredibly offensive. Well, I think um, he he, he believed, yeah, he believed it was offensive, but I think he got upset when screenings were canceled. Yeah. And that's when he was like went full defense of He's it. He's like, no one's ever complained about this role before. And that it's is like, a lie. Oh, they have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's really Mickey bad. Mickey has never seen a computer before. <laughs> it's really bad. It is him straight up in yellow face. He's got a terrible accent. The accent. He's treated terribly by Holly Golightly. It's mm. such a weird, horribly offensive character. It's like one of the worst, like the most racist characters ever committed to film. For sure. They put buck teeth in his mouth. Yep. They like taped his, his eyes. eyyes. Yeah. Like, horrible. It's, it's really bad. It's every really horrible, bad. irresponsible thing you can think of. Every insensitive thing. Incredible attention to detail. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just fucking crazy. Because we did a, an episode recently also about aliens, and we talked about the character of Vasquez being yep. brown face. Mm-hmm. At the very least, again, not to defend any, you know, whitewashing or anything like that or any racist characters, but at least that character of Vasquez is treated with respect by the other characters and the movie itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is just like, 
the worst example. And it also <laughs> doesn't add anything to the story. Like no, I've tweeted, no. I've tweeted about like loving Breakfast at Tiffany's and I've been like my kingdom for someone who will just cut a version of the movie without his character at all and the movie would make complete sense. Yeah, I mean you don't need it. There's a few different elements of this movie. Just from a story perspective, you don't need that character. You don't really need Sally Tomato. Like, there's not, there's some, there's certain things that just like, you're just well, like, oh, this is some weird fat trimming. Sally Tomato comes into play because her arrest is what leads Jose to leave her. But it right. would make even better and just as much sense if she decides on her own to leave Jose and be with Paul. Because right. She loves him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think the cat has <sighs> is more of an important part of the story plot-wise than any of those other things. Right. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, check that piece out. And and then also it warrants saying that, you know, while this is one of the most egregious examples of a yellow-faced character in film, it was happening, you know, as recently as Emma Stone. Right. Um, so it is something that still happens in, in film. And will anyone ever learn ever? Yeah, I just watched Doctor Strange, and Tilda Swinton's character is yes. supposed to be Asian as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? What? There's so much whitewashing. It's horrible, yeah. Especially, I think, like, I think because it's yellow face, people are willing to give it more of a pass than, like, if he was straight up in blackface, people would be like, well, obviously that's... not. I mean, some people would say it's bad, but... Because it's yellow face, people are like, no, it's like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, they mm-hmm. view it as not as bad when it very clearly is. Mm-hmm. Right. And similarly with aliens, too. I think they're like, that's not so bad. Yeah, it is. No, yeah, it is. It is. It, so is. Bad. it is so bad. Yeah. And it sucks because it's otherwise like a, a good, feel good movie. And then you're right. like, oh. like, I really do. Please, someone out there, edit together the movie without those scenes, and it would be just as good. Uh, right. It's really it's really frustrating. And at the time, I was trying to like figure out, I'm like, okay, what did this add to this movie at the time? And it's just like, I think it, it was intended as like a slap sticky, like, oh, wouldn't it be funny? Which is just makes it even worse. And it's also tonally a shift so from the rest of the inconsistent. movie. It's like a completely different, it's taking place in a different movie. Right. It's not good. It's bad. Can you imagine if you just like lost your keys all the time and then you woke up your <laughs> don't neighbor? Have to imagine that. I, don't have to, I do that a lot. <laughs> yeah, you have you, 26 keys made to your apartment <laughs> yes. that you can get in. Yeah, but do I you like consistently like buzz your neighbor and wake him up all the time? And then in order to like appease him for a moment, you say, Yeah, you can take nude pictures of me sometime. I did that with my roommate Yorn yesterday. No, okay. <laughs> Can of we just uh, just a moment in praise of Emily Eustace Phelan? Oh, for sure, Patricia Neal. Just think that she is so cool and like uh, for this time, she's so confidently cheating on her husband mm-hmm. that it is fun to watch. And then and then you see this breakup scene between her and Paul, which I thought was like kind of sad, but also kind of. I don't know. I I was practical. surprised. Yeah, because we only see her three she or four times. She doesn't freak out. She's sort of very like practical minded about it. She's not like yeah. needy. She's also it's like also, but it's a little sad too. Where it's like the way that she exerts her control over the situation with her and Paul is with her money. Mm-hmm. And so when he makes the emotionally based decision of like I'm falling in love with someone, I need to break this off. I can't do this anymore. She's like, oh, how do I retain my power in the situation? And she tries to give him money. And that was just like, I don't know. It made me My sad. assumption was that she was 
I thought I always think that she's giving him the thousand dollar check to go on a trip because she thinks that they will spend time together, realize they're not in love, and that he'll come back. She'll go, yeah, oh, okay. That's my, what I, I always thought, thought that she was Same. like saying, like, go for it then. Like, I'll even pay for it because yeah. this isn't going to work out. So, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. enjoy your trip, realize you're both people, fall out of love, you'll come back. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And then he goes into his closet and he's like, find another fuck boy. Goodbye. Hopefully he has the same length of arms as me so you don't even have to go to a tailor. Scarf toss out. It's great. So she'll be fine. She'll she'll find another young strapping man. Yeah. There's a lot of men who want to be writers. There's a lot of men who want to be writers. Yeah, I really like that character. She's a feminist icon. I love her. calls Paul while her husband is in the room, mm-hmm. this is like, hey, my husband came home early. Uh, gross. Uh, <laughs> so I guess we can't see each other today. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I mean, I don't know she's, why. She's the icon of this movie for me. I really <laughs> we don't know what the husband's deal is. Is she just like, she's just like, I want to pay for sex and I don't care. Maybe they're in know. an ethical non-monogamy relationship. Yeah, and that's why she is able to make the call while he's in the room. (laughs) My God, I don't. I guess I sort of just assumed, like, well, it was a marriage in 1961, so it probably was bad, Mm -hmm. and uh, she could not get out of it without being disgraced. Yeah, and likes likes her younger men. Yeah, good for her. Yeah, she's also yeah, she's like an older woman who's just oh, I just I like her a lot. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of marriage and that, like, the fact that Holly is trying to pursue two different men who are rich and she thinks that she's going to be able to marry into money, Mm -hmm. I get that that is maybe a logical next step for someone in her profession. Even so, the fact that she is trying to marry for money and not actually pursue, like, any of her other talents or anything like that to just try to get a job and earn money for herself where would she work i don't know she could go to work at tiffany's not really you're looking down on her yeah well she doesn't have a a lot of options you know she's a bumpkin she doesn't really have a lot of other options i don't have many options and sometimes but it's not 1961 (laughs) it's not 1961 it's hard there's not a lot of avenues for women you really only had you had to get married (laughs) right it's like well and that's the the sex work does seem like one of really the only routes for holly to live the life that she wanted to live at that time because it it seems like if her motivation her ultimate motivation is she's waiting for her brother to get out of the army so that they can go off and live together and she's trying to save so she doesn't want to be tied down because that means when fred gets out of the army then they can't go through with the plan and so yeah she has so few options options. she doesn't have an education she's never been to a library like yeah yeah and she's like coming from a trauma background and i don't don't think she has a lot of and honestly, like that was that was like a a valid career path. Like marrying right. rich was like a valid career path to get out of shit. I mean, women used to go to college to meet their husbands, so right. <laughs> so that you can like try to move up in class, move up in your station. It's already pretty wild that she got out of. She's in Alabama, right? Uh, I don't know. I think they say Texas. She's, she's Texas. from Texas. That she Capote's got, from Alabama. Okay, yeah. That she got out of there anyway. To go in the 60s to be in New York. Yeah, like it's a miracle Mm -hmm. that she and like a testament to her own, you know, like 
cleverness and tenaciousness that she is able to live the life she has even though it is unsustainable and requires constant like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hustling etc mm-hmm. i don't know i i mm. think i i left this viewing with a better understanding of holly i still like the i still like the movie it's darker and sadder than mm-hmm. i remember and i think that's like a super common i know thing it's to forget sadder and darker than i think people who only look at it for the aesthetic give it credit for yeah you know and and it goes without saying but we should say it is a very white movie uh mm-hmm. it is the most prominent non-white character is played by a white person so right. well, there you go that is just a version of new york that only exists in fiction and is frustrating to right. see and yeah. and of you know as we come up upon on almost every movie we encounter a, a very hetero movie mm-hmm. and i think it, had the movie like adapted the character of Paul as I mean, but then we like then you don't get the love story. Th- well, which is fine for me, yeah. but I also don't necessarily want like I mean, and this is you know early sixties, so if there is a, a a gay character, they would have to be coded gay because of the production code. Like you know that wouldn't have flown. But I just oh, man, I haven't read the book. Is he still fucking the the wife even though he's gay? He's coded as gay. Um, I don't know. I haven't, I didn't reread the book before this. I just went to read the, he is definitely still like coded as a sex worker. Mm -hmm. So I think that, yeah, it's Mm. possible that he was having sex with Valenson because she is a character in the novella. I don't have to double check how explicit, because it seems like even more so in the book than in the movie, there's, I don't think it would say explicitly that he's fucking her. Yeah, right. So right, right. I, it, it, my guess is it would be more implications. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. It would have been a cool movie if if he was coded as gay and they they just helped each other as friends. That's interesting. Or right? it would have been even cooler if he was just allowed to be explicitly gay and then they were just well, yeah. I'm talking about friends. 1961. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> now you remake it. Now he's just like played. Who's he played by? Billy Eichner? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, even even in the book, he, he does say in the book that he's in love with Holly Golightly, but it is open to interpretation of, like, what kind of love. Or he's basically. bisexual. Right. We no. don't know. We don't know. Capote's dead. He cannot tell us. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a sec. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soil to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more we're done. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. 
big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. And here we are. We're back. We're back. Okay. Does anyone have any other thoughts about the movie? No, I mean, I'm trying to remember if it if it passes the Bechdel test, but we'll get there. The only other female character that gets to speak, I'm pretty sure, is that female police officer. Who, yeah. when, when Holly's arrested, she goes, knock it off! Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, a woman spoke. Yeah. <laughs> female police officer, though. Hey, Guys, hey! Progressive. Very progressive. She, There's no female detectives, but a female arresting officer, yes. yes. There's also a female librarian who oh, yes. um, keeps yelling at Holly because she's never been in a library before and doesn't know that she needs to keep her voice down. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's talk about if the movie passes the Bechdel test or not. There are very few scenes where women interact. Mag Wildwood and Holly. At the mm-hmm. party. Um, the party. I had that that conversation is not passing because they mention Mr. Yunioshi and the two the men guys, that, yeah. Ma- that Mag brings to the party, Jose and Rusty. So And she's uh, talking to them and Audrey Hepburn says, you're being a bore. And that's kind of the only... Right. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have that scene as passing, but had, Jamie, you said... I had Holly... Mag, darling, you're being a bore. Mag says, shut up. That <laughs> That's does technically pass. That does pass, I guess. And then she talks to Emily Eustace, whatever. What's her last Fa- name? Phelanson. They talk in, in the beginning with Paul when they meet outside. Does yeah. that pass? Uh, well, I didn't write uh, that Paul, Paul introduces them. Holly says, how do you do? And Mrs. Phelanson uh, says, how do you do? But doesn't look at her. She looks away because mm-hmm. she hates her so much. And then he says, oh, this is my interior decorator. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's all they, that's, that, it was just like, how do you do? How do you do? We see a few women interacting at Holly's party, but we don't know any of their names. Holly does talk to that librarian, but we never learn her name. Or so the we, police officer. Or the police officer. Yeah, Not so. And I don't think she and the police officer actually interact. It was more okay. like a side by side, like. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess there are a couple two-line exchanges that technically pass the Bechdel test. But, but given the movie, it should do a lot better. You would think. Yeah. 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 And I think Mickey Rooney's character should just decimate. Like, that's like negative 1,000 points. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so For whatever any points you've tolerance. earned, yeah, it's negative 1,000. Yeah. <sighs> well, shall we rate the movie on Let's our nipple scale? It. For new listeners, we have a special rating scale that we've devised Mm -hmm. to judge the movies that we've talked about yes uh it is called the nipple scale get used to that phrase you'll be hearing it a lot it is where kayla myself and our guest all rate the movie we just discussed on a scale of 
zero to five nipples based on how the movie treats its female characters, not on how much you like the movie. The best right. part of the nipple scale is you get to describe them. In fact, you have to describe them. Mm-hmm. And you get to give them two characters in the movie. Or Alfred Molina if you want to. Right. Yep. <laughs> so that's our nipple scale. For me, I think I'm going to give it one nipple. I think it's interesting to explore a story about a woman who's a sex worker who falls in love with another sex worker. I think that this movie, though, and it could be due to some restrictions of the era and the production code and things like that, but I think it doesn't do a whole lot to explore all the interesting facets of that premise, number one. Number two, I think that Holly Golightly is a bad person (laughs) who is careless and who mistreats people. And she's like a prototype of the very annoying manic pixie dream girl trope that uh, we've come across several times and that I don't especially care for. Um, I think that her desires and her motivations are arguably not that well-defined And everything we do know about her and what she wants is tied to a man in some way. She wants to marry a rich man so that she can take care of her brother. So at least that motivation isn't entirely selfish, but men are still the source of her desires, her motivations. And pretty much all she does on screen is talk about men. And then also after her brother dies, she just goes right back to wanting to marry a rich dude. So it feels like just kind of inconsistent and sort of like negates the motivations that had been established for her earlier. Then finally, it takes a different man, Paul, to basically fix her and to inspire her character arc. Also, and we didn't really talk about this that much, but her relationships to the other women in the movie are generally like very petty, very catty. It's like women feeling though they have to compete against each other, women not treating each other with kindness and respect. Mm. So it just kind of reinforces those stereotypes of like women are always fighting, women are catty toward each other. And I understand that this is a movie that came out many decades ago. Things were very different back then. Historical context was very different back then. But I still find that there's not that much redeemable about the character of Holly, about the movie itself. I just think that it could have gone in much more interesting directions, explored her experience in a more interesting way, had it so that everything that she does and wants to do isn't tied to men in some way. So one nipple from me, and I will give it to Mrs. Fallonson. Um, because she is pretty dope. Feminist icon Valenson. Yes. <laughs> I, oh man, I hope that I'm, I'm not being too generous. I'm wanting to give it a two or two and a half. Yeah, I'm going to go with, t- it doesn't matter. The thing is, it's a metric and it doesn't matter, but I'm so stressed out right now. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it two and a half. I mean, it goes without saying that the way this movie treats race especially in regards to mickey rooney's character is abhorrent and terrible and bad and there's no excuse for it i agree that this movie should have it cut entirely and it wouldn't have much of a difference on the movie hardly Uh, but as it pertains to the treatment of women specifically i do think that holly golightly i think she does have a motivation and i think that she it, it is clearly she comes by her faults in a way that is clearly explained by the movie and is grounded and she loses points for the manic pixie dream girl stuff and the movie loses points for how it sort of botches the the third act I think in a lot of ways in the way that 
the message of being emotionally vulnerable is communicated as ownership to mm -hmm. a man. And, you know, the, the last 15 minutes, I have a lot of issues of how her character is treated. But in the way that she's built and the portrayal of sex work, even though it can't be explicitly stated in movies at all at this point, she's treated with respect. I think she's called out for, for faults in ways that, for the most part, with the exception of her being called crazy, with the exception of her being chased out of her own apartment, with the exception of her romantic interest bringing her rapist to her door, <laughs> uh, with the exception of those things, she she is, for the most part, treated as, if not with respect, because she's not necessarily treated with respect, but I do think she is treated as like a capable character who for most of the movie has agency in how she lives her life given the restraints that are put on her by the world and the era yeah i think i'm i'm ignoring like the time period and the socioeconomic cultural situation of the early 60s yeah i, I think that there's a lot of stuff that she doesn't do here but i but i at the time i think it's like implied just because this is the world that it came out in, that mm -hmm. she couldn't do that. And that right. like wasn't an option for her really at all. So I'm going to give it two and a half nipples. I, I, I do like Holly and I love Mrs. Phelanson. And so I'm going to give a nip to Miss Phelanson, a nip to Holly, and then I'm going to uh, toss half a nip to the one who goes, knock it off, because <laughs> I liked her a lot. Um, I agree with everything Jamie said. You put it really well. And I just think it's so cool in a lot of the old movies that I, I really love. I'm constantly surprised by the way women are portrayed and that they are just speaking purely in terms of being sexual beings, like the way that they're portrayed as like being a allowed to be that way. And I guess I had this idea in my mind of women kind of only being these like 50s or early 60s kind of like housewives and so I'm constantly or or even like that premarital sex might be seen as bad but right. like that there's so many characters and especially typified by Holly Golightly but just in a lot of these older movies there's so many female characters whose motivations are sex or who like are having sex and when I started watching old movies I was really surprised by that mm -hmm. because it's today seen as such a thing like women like movies where women are sexual are like given like a standing ovation and I'm like but we've been doing this I don't know why like we have this f I think people haven't watched a lot of these old movies mm -hmm. so they see it a certain way and they think that this movie is about like a upscale woman in a tiara who just buys things from Tiffany's and mm -hmm. like they right. haven't watched it so they don't know that it's actually about like class and trauma and like sex work and you know all these things that and that she doesn't buy anything from tiffany she doesn't buy anything from <laughs> she makes Tiffany's. no purchase she doesn't even eat breakfast inside you guys <laughs> although fun fact this is like the first time tiffany's allowed anyone to film inside of tiffany's oh no kidding mm -hmm. that's cool so yeah so i just and i and it, that we never we almost never see male sex workers treated with respect or like you know male sex workers who are with women although i guess that show hung but like haven't, haven't seen <laughs> wait who's in that show thomas jane wow if i got that right yeah, that would be that incredible right, it would be a life and so i just think it's surprising like maybe mm -hmm. i'm giving it to maybe i'm gonna give it three nipples and maybe I'm giving it too many nipples because I was just so shocked by how chill the movie was about so many things. Yeah. And for its era. 
and how like misunderstood it is mm-hmm. by like anyone who's ever had a poster of it in their <laughs> dorm room. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is Thomas Jane, by the way. Wow, guys. Take me on your trivia team. <laughs> I know so much useless stuff. And so, and I think it's trying as hard as it can for its time. I will give it negative 5,000 nipples for Mickey Rooney. Yes. And I can't even begin to imagine what they were thinking. I guess they thought it it was a comic relief. Even racism aside, which it never is, but it tonally... Does not fit with the rest of the movie. Makes sense. It takes away from the movie. Even if it, even if the role was played by an Asian actor, even if the role was toned down by fifty percent, it would still tonally not fit in with the rest of the movie. For sure. As a like screenwriter, it doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. There's no point to it. The party scene also seems tonally inconsistent because there's some like slapsticky physical humor there. Yeah. Just I was like, what is this supposed to be funny? Like what it. I think this movie was supposed know. to be like a rom com thing of its time, but the rom and the com feel so separate, separate. that <laughs> it's just, yeah, there's no there's no overlap. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the characters feel very grounded, and then some of the characters are in a different movie. Right. And that is either poor screenwriting or poor directing. Or a fun mix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you giving your nipples to? Two to, to Failstein. Failstein. Mm-hmm. She rocks. One to Holly Go Lightly, I guess. The nipples only go to women. Uh, they can go to anyone you want. Yeah. You can go oh. to men, animals, people who aren't even in, in the movie. Inanimate oh. objects, concepts. I want to give one to the cat. <laughs> Ideas. Yeah. I oh, want to yes. give one to the cat. Absolutely. The cat is wonderful. It did its own stunts. <laughs> that was a... That was such good acting by that cat. That cat ruled. I mean, the scene cat where the scene where the cat's playing with the cigarette. That's yeah. up. I mean, that cat was trained so well. I loved it. The cat was wet and didn't freak and didn't out. Care. Yeah, yeah. You're just like, what is? What is this cat's a star? What is, <laughs> I don't know. a cactor? A cactor. A cactor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cat actor. <laughs> anyway. Well, All right. Well, Gabby, thank you so much yes, for being thank here. You. Yeah, thanks for having me, of and um, and uh, thanks for doing a movie that you fucking hate. You're so welcome. <laughs> I'm happy to make the sacrifice for this podcast and for you, Gabby. Oh, <laughs> I just I, I I wanted to try to get like something super old in here. Yeah. Just for your your fans that are like 70 to 80, like really your demo. Which we have (laughs) so many of. Yeah, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Shout out to our older fans. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Gabby, where can people follow you online? Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Oh, sure. My podcast, Bad With Money, is currently on season three. It's out now and um, it's about money, but it tries not to be stressful. Just trying to break the taboo, guys. It's Um, so good. Thank you. And... I'm on Twitter at Gabby Dunn and on Instagram at Gabby Road because I don't understand branding. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And then I I had a book come out last year called I Hate Everyone But You. And it was a New York Times bestseller and it's a YA novel, but also like a novel regular. Hmm. And you can get that wherever books are sold. Yay. Oh, yeah. Not at Tiffany's, though. They don't sell books Not there. at Tiffany's. You could, go to Not. A li- you could go to the library, though, but Br- you, should buy, you should buy Gabby's book. Bring it to <laughs> Tiffany's. Get it engraved. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You can find us. We are now on the How Stuff Works Network. Wow. Ooh. Exciting. We're network girls. We're little bitches. <laughs> but you can also still find us on our Matreon. Um, 
patreon.com slash practicalcast five bucks a month gets you two extra episodes wow amazing for our new listeners you can follow us on social media at bechtelcast on both twitter and instagram and we also have a facebook page just called the bechtelcast mm-hmm. nothing tricky nothing tricky you can find me on twitter.com at jamie loftus help and you can find me at caitlin durante And then for our existing listeners, thanks for always being here. Thanks for all of your support. Thank you guys for doing this show. It's so fun. I love it. Oh my gosh. Thank you. We love doing it. And we're glad you could be here. Congrats on your upgrade. Thank you so much. (laughs) And, And I said, what about breakfast at Tiffany's? And I said, I think I remember the film. And as I recall... We both kind of liked it. Well, you recall correctly because I did not <laughs> like it, but that is still one thing we've got. That passed the Bechtel test. Yay! Yay! Okay, bye. bye. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org.